Well, Mother's Day is uh, an annual opportunity to zero in on a, a female character in the scriptures or a passage in the Bible that uh, speaks directly to women with the intent of encouraging uh, the ladies. And I think it's a great opportunity. Just uh, We don't often get to just uh, talk to the women, and so Mother's Day is a great forum to do that. And so I trust your heart will be encouraged this morning, ladies, as we uh, really focus on you today and uh, give you an opportunity just to be reminded and hopefully stirred up by way of reminder to the great responsibility, the great calling that you have and the great potential you have to bring great honor and glory to God as a woman, as a wife, as a mother. And so the passage that uh, the Lord directed my heart to this morning is Titus chapter 2, verses 3 through 5, a very familiar text, I'm sure, to most of you ladies This is really uh, a foundational text uh, for women in the scriptures and uh, also for women in our church. This is really the basis on which we've established the women's ministry here at Lakeside Bible Church. Um, And uh, we often hear the phrase uh, thrown around, uh, something about being a Titus II woman. You've heard that expression before, being a Titus II woman. And where this comes from is this passage here in Titus chapter 2, verses 3 through 5. Let me read it for you as I begin. Titus chapter 2, verse 3. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips, nor enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good, so that they may encourage the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be sensible, pure, workers at home, Kind, being subject to their own husbands, so that the word of God will not be dishonored. Father, we thank you for speaking so directly to the women in the body of Christ, as you have men. But Lord, this passage is so critical to every woman's heart and mind. And I pray that as we look at this description of a godly woman who brings you great honor and makes your word and your person attractive and beautiful to a lost and dying world. I pray that you would grant these ladies grace, Lord, to implement these qualities, Lord, that you would produce and develop these qualities in their lives. And so, Lord, give them a desire to want to be this type of woman for your honor and your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Titus was one of Paul's young protégés who he may have personally led to Christ, but who he certainly mentored and discipled in the faith. And while Titus is not as well known as Timothy, uh, he was no less important to Paul's life and ministry and and to the spread of the gospel uh, throughout the world. And on one of their journeys together as co-laborers for the gospel's sake, Paul left Titus behind on the island of Crete which is an island off the coast of Greece. He was, a, he was a Greek convert. He wasn't a Jew. He was a Gentile. And so that made sense that uh, Paul left him to minister on that Greek island um, and really to provide leadership for the churches in the various cities on that island. And Paul wrote him this letter titled Titus, of course, to tell him what he should do and what he should teach in those churches. And in chapter 1, he greets him briefly, and then begins to tell him to appoint elders to lead each of the churches. And he listed the qualifications 
of those who would serve as elders. And he went on to expose the, the heresy and the hypocrisy of the false teachers that were stirring up controversy uh, in the churches on the island of Crete. And he told Titus how to confront them. And then here in chapter 2, Paul instructed Titus to train the Cretan Christians to live their lives in a way that was consistent with what they had been taught. That's the essence of verse 1. He says, but as for you... Titus, speak the things which are fitting for sound doctrine. In other words, sound teaching should result in sound living. What we believe should affect the way we behave or how we behave. And his main point here, and I think in this passage, is that when we behave like believers, it makes Christianity beautiful and attractive to those around us. Look at verse 10. He's talking now at this point to slaves, but he says, showing all good faith so that they will adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in every respect. And here in verses 1 through 10, Paul zeroed in on the various groups, people groups in the church. Uh, and any church has these groups. Um, there's older men, there's older women, there's younger women, there's younger men, there are even our slaves, at least not in our day, but in that day. There were slaves sitting in the, in the church services. And what he does is he, 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 he singles out each one of these groups and he lists the actions and the attitudes that should mark their lives and make them effective witnesses for Jesus Christ. And here in verses 3 through 5, he, he zeroes in on the ladies, the women in the church, both older and younger women. And he, he lists here 11 qualities that really characterize the life of a godly woman who desires to bring honor to God and His Word. And again, these 11 qualities are divided between two stages of a woman's life. There's older women, and there was four qualities in verse 3 attributed to older women, and then there's seven qualities uh, attributed to younger women. Um, Now, you probably want me to tell you whether you're an older woman or a younger woman. I'm not about to do that, okay? (laughs) Let me just simply say this, I think the spirit of this text, and, and, and really when you um, uh, bring other scriptures into play here, that older women are those who have reached the point in their life where their children are grown or gone. Um, it's really, whether or not you're an older woman is relative to when you got married and when you had children. So some of you may be older in age, but you're still, in essence, a younger woman because you're dealing with small children or whatever, uh, whereas older women are those who maybe are more seasoned in life, their kids are older, maybe they've, they're out of the house, and they're those that could provide some counsel and some instruction and some example uh, to younger women. Uh, one verse to go by here, and ladies, I think this will encourage you, 1 Timothy 5, 9 Paul was giving Timothy instruction about widows, and he said a widow is to be put on the list only if she is not less than 60 years old. So, all that to say, if you're under 60, you're not an old widow, right? Uh, Under 60 years old, you may still be considered a young woman, according to Paul and and Timothy. Uh, That should encourage you. I'm trying to encourage you, ladies. Don't take this wrong, okay? Some of you are looking at me like, what is he trying to say? I'm not trying to say anything other than encourage you that, hey, some of you probably uh, just gained some years right there, right? You thought you were an older lady. You're, you're not. You're still, according to you know, the, the widow list, right? You could still have a long... Okay, I'm just going to be quiet. Let's just go to the list. <laughs> Let's look at these 11 qualities. 
before I get myself in trouble here. Notice what it says, older women likewise are to be reverent in their behavior. Number one is reverence, reverence. And this is the only time that this word is used in the Bible. It conveys the idea here of being priest-like. So an older woman should live her life with the demeanor of a priestess in a temple going about her sacred duties. That's the spirit of this idea about being reverent in their behavior. They should talk and act as if they were in the very presence of God. And the reality that everything they say is heard by God and everything they do is seen by God makes them sober, makes them serious about life. But at the same time, I don't think that means they have to walk around with a sourpuss, right? Being unfriendly, being prudish, uh, that they never laugh at anything. They're too serious. They, do, they take themselves too seriously. I think a, a godly, reverent woman has the maturity to laugh at what is truly laughable. She laughs when it's an appropriate time. And, and that maturity comes from a deep understanding of the Word of God that she's developed over, over years of studying God's Word and, and through extended times of prayer. And added to that, that maturity comes from the many experiences that, has, that have tempered her perspective on life. Because those who are older have most likely maybe buried parents or witnessed even the death of a spouse or a brother or a sister or maybe even children. And so they just have a tempered, a seasoned perspective on life. And I think this is so uh, encouraging for younger women because... Uh, young women tend to lose perspective at times, don't you? And uh, you get frustrated and depressed or overwhelmed by the circumstances of your life and you think, I'm, I'm going to go crazy here. And then you get together with some older woman and uh, you spend some time talking and hearing their heart and hearing their story and then all of a sudden everything's okay. Why? Because you realize no temptation has overtaken you, right? No trials overtaken you, no challenge overtaken you, but that which is common to man. And every woman who's ever lived has had to deal with the same things you're dealing with. And your circumstances don't necessarily change, but your perspective of those circumstances do. And I think that older woman is able to help younger women regain a proper perspective on whatever it is that they're struggling with. And uh, they, they really just need one of those been there and done that talks, right? And uh, it just kind of puts everything, puts a w- young woman's heart at ease. And so uh, there's a reverence that should be a characteristic of an older woman. Secondly, it says that they should not be malicious gossips. Not malicious gossips. By the way, this is one of the qualifications of a deaconess in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 11. It says, Women must likewise be dignified, not malicious gossips, but temperate, faithful in all things. Interesting uh, note here, that word for malicious gossip is from the word diabolos in the Greek, which is the word for slanderer, which is used 34 times in the New Testament as a title for who? Diabolos, the devil, Satan. And so that tells us a lot right there about the sin of gossip and slander. It's satanic. Satan is the source of all of it. And whoever does it reflects the character of Satan. James chapter 3, verse 6 says that a gossiping tongue is set on fire by hell itself. If I just quickly turn over to 1 Timothy, just a few pages back, 1 Timothy chapter 5, 
verses 13 through 15, as Paul was instructing Timothy about uh, widows, in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 13, it says, At the same time, they also learn to be idle. This is the whole reason why uh, younger women are not to be uh, likened or, or put on the widow list. They're to go, go get remarried. Why? Because they have a tendency, it says, to be idle as they go around from house to house, not merely idle, but also gossips and busybodies talking about things not proper to mention. Therefore, I want younger widows to get married, bear children, keep house, and give the enemy no occasion for reproach, for some have already turned aside to follow Satan. Again, idle hands, idle time are the devil's workshop. And you think about who, who is usually most guilty of gossiping. When you think about the town gossip, right? It typically is a woman, right? Typically an older woman. Why is that? Well, because an older woman tends to have less to do, more time to sit around and talk, and if they're not careful, their conversations uh, can turn into gossip sessions. Well, I heard that, or well, somebody told me that. Well, did you hear about so-and-so, right? And that's just the way conversations often go. But one of the marks of a godly older woman is that she doesn't discuss anything that is untrue or unfounded or unnecessary about other people. They don't criticize others. They don't slander others. They refuse to listen to gossip. And even if they do hear it inadvertently, they refuse to pass it on to others. So don't be a malicious gossip. Number three Paul said to Titus that they should not be enslaved to wine, not enslaved to much wine. Now, drinking was a big problem, apparently, for the Cretans. One of the qualifications for elders there in verse 7 of chapter 1 was they could not be addicted to wine. Paul describes the Cretans in verse 12 of chapter 1 uh, that he said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. So that was the character, uh, that was the reputation of the, the people who lived on the island of Crete. Um, and so he's saying, hey, ladies, you shouldn't be enslaved to much wine. Don't be caught up in the culture, the Cretan culture uh, of drinking and, 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 and eating, overeating, uh, carousing. Uh, so not be enslaved to much wine. Now, again, notice Paul didn't say they shouldn't drink wine, period, but they shouldn't be controlled by it. They shouldn't be enslaved by it. Ephesians 5.18, do not be drunk with wine, but be filled or controlled by the Holy Spirit. And so an an older woman must stay in complete control of her faculties, keep them under the Spirit's control so that the Spirit can use her for, for the purposes that He's called her to here in this passage. And I think sometimes the pain and, and loneliness of old age often lead a woman to rely on something other than Christ to dull their senses or to refresh their body or their mind. But we know that in 1 Corinthians 6.12, Paul said it's a sin to be addicted to or mastered or controlled by anything, no matter what it is, whether it's alcohol or food or cigarettes or prescription medications or you fill in the blank. And it's really just a bad testimony for Christ when a Christian woman, a woman who professes to be a Christian, who's supposed to be dependent on Christ, right, when they're dependent on something other than Christ. Just a bad witness. It doesn't adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. It doesn't honor the Word of God. And so don't be enslaved to much wine. Number four, they need to be a teacher of good. He says, teaching what is 
good. And so an older godly woman has an extremely important role of teaching others. They, they've got, and, they, and this is way more important um, than sitting around gossiping and getting drunk, right? That's this point. You got more important things to do. You need to be teaching others the right way to live. And again, this is not uh, necessarily referring to formal instruction that a woman might do publicly, standing up front leading a Bible study, but rather the informal advice and encouragement that women uh, give privately through their words and through their example. Maybe just standing around in your kitchen and you're teaching what is good to your children or to other women who are there visiting with you. Now you say, well, wait a minute. It says here that we're supposed to teach what is good. Um, but I thought Timothy said that we weren't supposed to teach. We were supposed to be silent, right? First Timothy chapter 2, verse 11. Paul said to Timothy, A woman must quietly receive instruction with entire submissiveness, but I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man, but to remain quiet. You say, well, how does that jive with what Paul told Titus here in Titus chapter 2, verse 3? Well, I think it's very clear that Paul was simply saying that when it comes to a, a, a mixed audience, right, where there's men and women, that a woman's role at that point is to quietly receive instruction, that a woman should not be teaching or exercising authority over a man. In other words, women should not be teaching men. Uh, women, women shouldn't be in, in positions of authority over men in the church. But that doesn't mean that a woman shouldn't teach. A woman has tremendous opportunities, countless opportunities, to teach the Word of God to children, to, to their grandchildren, to other people's children, in, in Sunday school, in women's Bible studies, over a cup of coffee at Starbucks. There's lots of venues for a woman to teach. But notice the primary focus of her instruction. Who are older women to teach? Teaching what is good, verse 3, so that they may encourage who? Who? The young women. And so the primary focus of older women should be to teach younger women. And he says literally to encourage them, so that they may encourage the young women. That they would train them to have self-control, to have good judgment. I think this is interesting. If you note the entire passage, if you're familiar with this passage, Paul didn't tell Titus to train younger women, but he did tell him to train younger men. Look at verse 6. Likewise, urge the young men to be sensible. In all things, show yourself to be an example of good deeds with purity and doctrine, dignified sound in speech, which is beyond reproach. So he's, he's, he's setting Timothy, or Titus up. He says, hey, you're supposed to be the, the teacher uh, of the young men, the example, the model. He doesn't say that about women. He doesn't say, hey, Titus, I want you to encourage the young women in the church. That's the older women's job. You say, well, why is that? Well, first of all, I think Paul told Titus that so he wouldn't be disqualified. <laughs> um. It's dangerous for a man, particularly a pastor, to be having lengthy discussions with other women in the church about intimate details of their lives. Uh, and many a well-meaning pastor, many a well-meaning guy who, who had a heart to care for, a, uh, whose heart was going out to some hurting woman, got emotionally or sexually involved with a woman they were counseling with. And that's why when a woman will come 
for counseling to see me in my office. I, I may meet with them once or twice, but then I try to get them immediately direct them to an older, wiser woman as soon as possible. Not only do I want to, do I want to keep myself out of trouble, but I also know that they're going to get a whole lot more help from an, another woman than they would ever from me or another guy. And so, first of all, he didn't want Titus to be disqualified. Secondly, older women are more qualified, period. I mean, who better to teach a younger woman than an older woman? Their, their rich knowledge of God's Word and their years of, of practical experience make them an invaluable resource to, to younger ladies who are just starting out or, or maybe struggling through a, a, a difficult season in their life. And so we, this is just important for us to, to understand this as a church, that the primary responsibility for training the young wives and mothers in the church does not rest on the pastors and the elders. Okay? It rests on the older women in the church. And if the older women in our church are doing their job, it should be rare for me or for any other elder or any other male in our church to have to counsel another woman. And so Paul told Titus to encourage the older women to develop a ministry of teaching younger women. And so ladies, let me ask you, those of you that qualify as older women, I'll let you make that determination, not me, right? Let me just ask you a couple questions this morning. Do you have a genuine burden for the younger women in our church? I mean, when you look around and you see the younger women, maybe these young, um, high, even you know, junior high, high school girls uh, coming into womanhood, some of these college students, uh, these young singles, young moms, um, even those who have maybe teenagers, um, and, and does your heart go out to them? Um, do you feel a sense of responsibility to come alongside them and, and train them and instruct them? Are you actively pouring your life into them, mentoring them and discipling them? Every one of you as an older woman should be able to point out at least one other woman in this church that you're meeting with and that you're spending time with pouring your life into them. And hopefully you've got more than one, right? Hopefully you've got two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Some of you are trying to kill lots of birds with one stone by maybe finding a ministry like Student Ministries, for example, where you can disciple a whole group of girls all at once. A group of five to ten young ladies on a Wednesday night. You get to disciple them and mentor them and be that older woman encouraging them. Or maybe you lead a small group in the women's ministry. Again, you're, you're killing more birds with one stone, right? You're getting to, getting to expand your ministry. You're not content with just one. But listen, if you're not meeting with any women, at least find one. Start with one and uh, pour your life into them and mentor them and disciple them. These younger women here, it says, so that they may encourage the young women. Literally, that word younger means new or fresh, um, the idea is maybe a newly married woman, a, a new mother. Um, that's the idea of these younger women. And we continue the list here uh, of, of qualities or characteristics of a godly woman now. Uh, what are the things that an, an older godly woman are to teach younger women? By the way, the assumption is there's not really just four qualities uh, of, of an older woman because all these other ones that are directed to younger women also apply to older women because they're the ones to be teaching and modeling them to the younger women. So the assumption is that they're all true of them as well. So don't just think, okay, I'm done. I only got four to think about. If I'm, if I'm, I'm an older woman, I only got four qualified. No, these are all 11 apply to older women. And guess what? All 11 apply to younger women as well. 
Because guess what, ladies? Sorry to discourage you, but you're getting older, okay? And you will be, right, needing to come full circle and be all these things to the younger women someday in the church. So what's the fifth quality here? Notice that they are to be lovers of their husbands. It says they may encourage the young women to love their husbands. This is just one word in the original language. It's simply husband-loving. So the older women are to be teaching the younger women to be husband lovers. Um, A young woman needs to be devoted to her husband. She should be a one-man woman. She shouldn't be flirtatious with all uh, every other man in the church. She shouldn't flaunt herself in front of other men or fantasize about what it would be like to be with other men. She should be unconditionally and sacrificially devoted to serve her husband and give herself completely to him. She should put his interests and desires above her own. She should be, be attentive to his needs and, and, and seek to please him. She should faithfully support him during difficult trials he may be facing. She should graciously forgive him when he sins against her. She shouldn't try to change the things she doesn't like about him, but patiently trust God to change him. Uh, she needs to remain open and honest with him at all times. Uh, she should talk to him tenderly and respectfully and never criticize or contradict him in front of other people. She should always speak well of him to others. You know, that's one thing I'm so grateful for, um, to God, for my wife, that he gave me a wife who loves me so much that she never says anything bad about me to other people. Hopefully nobody's sitting there going, oh yeah, you didn't hear what she said about you the other day, Right? <laughs> I don't think there is anybody who could say that. That's the confidence I have in my wife. The Proverbs 31 talks about how his wife, a husband's heart, trusts his wife, right? And, and I trust my wife, and I'm so thankful. It's not because there isn't anything bad she could say about me. Listen, I've given her plenty of things that she could say bad about me uh, to other people. Uh, yet she loves me, and she respects me, and she chooses to honor me by only speaking well of me. And that is a, is a precious gift from God. And so, ladies, you need to be husband lovers, lovers of your husband, but also you need to be uh, a loving mother, not only a loving wife, uh, but a loving mother. Again, just one word here. It says to love their husbands and to love their children. You need to be children loving Children lovers, and so a young woman should be devoted to her children. She should selfishly care for them and provide for their needs, and she should faithfully instruct them in the ways of the Lord and patiently correct them when they disobey God's word in their actions or their attitudes or their words. She should consistently discipline them with the rod when necessary. They should never be the type of woman who says, well, I just love my children too much to spank them. Well, listen, that contradicts what the Bible says. Proverbs 13, 24 says, He who spares his rod hates his son, but he who loves him disciplines him diligently. If any of you are having a hard time bringing yourself to spanking your kid, just talk to my mom. She'll help you get over it because she spanked me plenty of times, all right? And I'm standing up here today as a testimony of a mom who spanked her son. And I'm so thankful for that. But as younger women, you should view your children as your little disciples. They come first, by the way. Even before you meet with other women, you should be discipling, mentoring, excuse me, your own children. And wisely molding and shaping their lives 
to honor and serve the Lord. And that's a, that's a huge responsibility, and it requires major sacrifice. We know that, ladies. And it's, it's sad to see how more and more women, it seems today, are passing off that responsibility to other people. And I think we've seen this just even in our little community here, all the daycare centers that are popping up all over the place, right? Um, why? Because there's a lot of parents who are unwilling to sacrifice for their children, particularly moms <clears throat> who, who are willing to sacrifice for their children. And yet God's word makes it clear that the highest priority in a young woman's life is her family. And so the majority of your time and attention and affection needs to be devoted to your husband and to your children. To be lovers of your husband and lovers of your children. Number seven is to be sensible. Sensible. In other words, you need to have a, a sound mind. You need to have discernment to know what is appropriate and what is inappropriate. Uh, you need to be able to exercise good judgment. You should be able to use common sense. Um, your, your entire being should be under the control of your mind rather than your emotions. You need to think before you speak and before you act. A young woman shouldn't be impulsive. She shouldn't swing back and forth like a pendulum. Or her husband and children shouldn't feel like they're always riding on a roller coaster. She should make all of her decisions only after careful and prayerful consideration and counsel from godly uh, spiritual authorities. And so she should be sensible. Number eight, she should be pure. Paul says that they should be pure. They should be holy and chaste. They should avoid impurity of any kind, whether it's thought, word, or action. They should be morally and sexually pure. They should be faithful to their husband. They need to be careful to never say anything or do anything that would cause another man to lust after her. She should dress modestly, not suggestively. They should wear clothes that conceal their bodies rather than reveal their bodies. Which, by the way, that's the whole point of clothes today, right? That wasn't the original intent of clothes. In the garden, it was to cover up the body, right? Not to be revealing. Um, a godly young woman should reserve her body exclusively for her husband to see and to enjoy. <clears throat> I think a young lady has to also <clears throat> excuse me, guard herself against the temptation to escape into fantasy worlds, even in her mind, filled with all types of ungodly thoughts and and images. I think it's interesting that, that soap operas, romance novels, um, uh, trust me, the majority of people watching soap operas and ro reading romance novels are, are not guys, okay? They're specifically geared to appeal to that part of a woman's emotion and, 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 and her, her imagination and her fantasies. I mean, just, uh, I don't even know if you're aware of this book. Uh, I've just seen it in, 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 in the news, uh, Fifty Shades of Grey, which is just you know, New York Times bestseller and millions of women are buying this book and reading this thing and it's just, it's, it's all about impurity and immorality. And so that's not befitting of a godly woman. A, a Christian woman should not, that stuff shouldn't appeal to her. She shouldn't want to read that kind of stuff. Number nine, it says that they need to teach the younger women to be workers at home to be workers at home. Now, let me just say this as I begin to explain this phrase. I don't think this is an, an absolute command 
that a woman should never work outside the home. This is not a thou. Paul's not saying thou shalt not work outside the home if you're a woman. At the time, however, when Paul wrote this, there was no such thing as a career woman, okay, that, that, that we've grown accustomed to in the 21st century. Uh, a career was not an option for a woman living in the first century. Why? Because she couldn't go to Walmart and buy a loaf of bread. She had to grind the flour, knead the dough, build the fire, bake the bread, while all at the same time she was tending to the garden, washing the clothes, nursing the children, spinning the wool, making the clothes, feeding the animals, taking care of the guests, right? She didn't have time to go out and uh, make a living outside the home. That was her living. That was her livelihood. And modern conveniences have greatly simplified a woman's life and reduced the amount of time it takes to accomplish all the work around the house. And that doesn't change the fact, however, that being a homemaker is a full-time job. Do I hear an amen, ladies? Okay? And I would, guys, I would dare any of you to walk up to any of the ladies in our house, uh, ladies in our house, ladies in our, in our church uh, who are homemakers and, uh, and ask them, hey, so what do you do for a living? What do you do for work? Watch out, you might get slapped, right? Because they, they work harder than probably anybody. Uh, again, when, he, when Paul told Titus to, that the older women should teach the younger women, encourage the younger women, train the younger women to be workers at home, I think what he was getting at here is that a young woman must work hard at keeping up the home and focus the majority of her time and energy and creativity in managing the affairs of her household. That's why God wired you the way he wired you, ladies, was for the home. And so a, a young woman needs to guard against the temptation to, to be lazy or to be an idle busybody or to be distracted by things outside the home, whether that be a job or some other activity that causes her to neglect her responsibilities in the home. I already read 1 Timothy 5.14, where Paul said, I want younger widows to get married, bear children, keep house. Now, that may just make the hair stand up on the back of some of you ladies' necks going, ooh, that just sounds so provincial. That sounds so un-21st century, right? That sounds um, uh, feministic, or you know, right? Um, Because bearing children, keeping house... Again, in our day, that, that's viewed as a, are you kidding me? You want me to be barefoot and pregnant and, and cook and clean and that's all I do? Well, guess what? Cooking and cleaning and ironing and changing diapers and washing clothes are not demeaning jobs. They are divine duties that can be done to the glory of God. And it's all in your perspective. Many think that being a stay-at-home mom is, is trivial or insignificant. And I think many women have bought the world's lie that true fulfillment, true satisfaction comes from pursuing that career, but true fulfillment comes from pursuing God's design and God's desire for your life as a woman. And God's desire and God's design for young women is that their home be the focus of their life. That's the point. That's the place that you can make the greatest impact on this world, not sitting in an office necessarily pushing papers around all day. Uh, Again, the issue is not whether or not you work outside the home, but whether or not your home is your priority. That's the point. And I think we must admit that there are some cases like single women or women whose kids are older or grown or out of the house 
They have fewer obligations and may have the time and energy to maintain a job. Uh, even some single moms who have lost a husband or, or they don't have a breadwinner in the home, they have no choice but to, to work, to get a job and to provide for their family. And I think that's when the church should come alongside that type of woman in that situation and make sure that their needs are cared for so that their life can be in balance. And so again, let me be very clear. I don't think it's a sin. I don't think the Scripture teaches that it's a sin for a woman to work outside the home, but it is a sin for a woman to neglect her home and family because of her job or career. Is that fair? And so, ladies, if your responsibilities at work are taking precedence over your responsibilities in your home, then you have misplaced priorities. And if your husband and kids are just getting your leftover time, your leftover energy, your leftover creativity, then you're too busy than God ever intended you to be. And you need to cut back in some way. And I would just add this, if, you're, if you are working simply to to make more money because you can't live off your husband's salary, in most cases, not all cases, but in most cases, that may mean that you've chosen a higher standard of living than God ever intended because God wanted the man to be the primary breadwinner um, so that the woman could stay at home and be faithful to her responsibilities. Now I'm really in trouble. Number 10. I'm glad this one comes next because now you have to be kind to me. The next quality, number nine, is that you would be kind. No, excuse me, number 10, be kind, it says. Be kind. And listen, let's face it, all the pressures and the stress of motherhood and managing a home can make a young woman anything but kind. They can get irritable. They can get harsh. They can become rude. They can become temperamental. But a godly young woman should be careful not to take out her frustration on her husband, on her kids. Um, They should maintain a gracious spirit, a sweet attitude in the midst of the chaos. Your husband shouldn't dread coming home, right? But should look forward to coming home and seeing your smiling face. Or at least, even if the smile's not there, hopefully there's joy and contentment in your heart, right? Even though you kind of look at him and go, oh, I'm so glad you're home, right? But there's joy in your heart. And I think, guys, we can help our wives um, when maybe you sense that they're not at their best, (laughs) they're struggling with uh, being kind and um, just having a happy heart and having that joy. Um, You know, one simple thing that you could do is let, let her get out of the house so she maintains her sanity. And I found as when our kids were younger, that was, that was one of the simplest ways that I could minister to Kelly was just to say, hey, honey, let me watch the kids tonight, and why don't you just spend some time alone, uh, go out with the girls, do whatever. And, and she would come back so refreshed, just from just a couple hours outside the four walls of the house, right, where you get stir crazy and you go nuts. And, and sometimes that's just refreshing to just get out and be alone and, and actually like shop without any other voices like in the cart telling you what to buy and grabbing things off the shelf and you get to the checkout and you're like, where did that come from? I didn't put that in there, right? I mean, wouldn't that be wonderful, ladies, just to be able to go to the new HEB and just take it all in, you know, without any kids, you know? So be kind. Be kind is the point, okay? And then number 11 is submissive, is to be submissive. That's the last quality here that older women are to teach younger women to be subject to their own husbands, 
And so the idea here is that a woman needs to understand her husband's God-ordained role as the loving leader, as the head, and her God-ordained role as the submissive helper. Ephesians chapter uh, 5, verse 22, wives are to submit to their husbands as Christ, or as a church submits to Christ, right? And uh, again, this, this phrase may be even more controversial in our day than the worker at home one, right? Being subject to your husband. Uh, I was asked one time to do a wedding, and uh, the, they, the, the couple was not believers, and I wanted to be a good witness to them, and so I thought, I'll, I'll do this wedding. And the lady specifically asked me not to say anything about wives submitting to their husbands. She didn't want to hear that at her wedding. I said, well, I'm sorry, that's what the Bible says, and if you want me to do your wedding, I'm going to have to say that somewhere. And so I did. Um, LAUGHTER but let's face it, a few things are, are attacked more viciously in our, in our society than the role of women, right? The feminist agenda is to liberate women from the archaic standards of the past and assert their equality alongside men. What is this submission stuff? That's a thing of the past. But, but a godly woman should accept the fact that God designed her to be the perfect complement to her husband. And she should be content to come alongside him and support him. And she shouldn't try to dominate him or usurp his authority. She should avoid doing anything or saying anything that would undermine his authority in anyone's eyes. Ladies, it should never be said of you that you wear the pants in the house, okay? You don't want that, okay? Don't, don't be that woman, okay? Where they say, oh yeah, she wears the pants in the house. I think uh, this, practically what this looks like, a woman being subject to her husband and that she doesn't make any major decisions without her husband's input or without her husband's counsel. I think, in fact, she should share her insight and give her input and counsel to her husband and then trust him to make the final decision. And I would also say this, that I realize that some of you ladies honestly are more of the spiritual leader in your homes than your husband's. That's the reality for some relationships, some marriages. But I would say this, even though you may be more gifted and, and more capable to lead than your husband, that doesn't mean you have to be in charge. And even if your husband has abdicated his position as the leader, you should gently encourage him and creatively help him to be more active and a more effective leader in your home and, and in, your, in, in our church. And that's something you can pray about. Lord, how can I be, remain subject to my husband and be submissive to my husband and, and really encourage him and push him in, in a godly way, a respectful way, to be the man that God has called me or called them to be? I, I, I don't know what book it's going to be, but I'd love to write a book someday and uh, dedicate it to my wife. And I already know what I'm going to say, is that I'm thankful for my wife because she has made me a better husband and a better father. She just has. And, and, and I would even maybe add this, and she's maybe a better pastor. And sometimes things that we have conversations about, things that sometimes frustrate me about my wife, uh, it's, it's so often I will, that very next Sunday or that very next um, week in counseling, I'll encounter a situation where I'm thinking, you know what, I can relate to this and I can understand this better because of what I've worked through with my wife. I mean, even just this morning, for example, how when I prayed, being sensitive to the fact that there are some of you that this is a hard day, right? 
because you've lost your mother. I wouldn't be sensitive to that unless my wife had lost her mother and she was working through those things and we had to talk about those things and pray about those things, right? And so there's an example of how she makes me a better pastor. She makes me a better husband. She makes me a better father. And ladies, you can be that, right? And honor your husbands in that way. Well, there's the 11 qualities. Now, let's look at the motivation behind these qualities, okay? Paul concludes this section by giving the reason why women should seek to develop these qualities in their lives. Notice what he says, so that the word of God will not be dishonored, blasphemed, slandered, mocked, maligned is the idea here. Listen, nothing brings greater reproach on God and his word than when people who say they're Christians, who say they're believers, don't live according to the principles of God's word. And it causes people to conclude, listen, if that's what comes of going to church and hearing all those sermons from the Bible and going to all those Bible studies and reading the Bible every day, then I don't want anything to do with the Bible. But when people see that that studying the Bible and hearing the Bible and applying the principles of God's word has made you a better woman, a better wife, a better mother. It will get their attention and it will give you an opportunity to share Christ with them. And so ladies, realizing that the honor of God and his word are at stake should provide you all the incentive you need to strive with Christ's help to develop these godly qualities in your lives. You might be the only Bible that someone ever reads is looking at your life, watching your life. Let me close with a, an exhortation from an old Puritan named Jeremiah Burroughs. And uh, this is what he said to his congregation one Sunday morning. And I think it's very appropriate this morning in light of this text He said, quote, I beseech you, brethren, in the name of Jesus Christ this morning, that you glorify the word. Ladies, this is more directed to you now, so that you might, what? So the word of God will not be dishonored. He said, oh, that not one of you would be a disgrace or shame to the word of God. You should rather think it would be better for me that I should die and that I were under the ground and rotting there than that the word of God should ever be disgraced by me. Wow. Let me hold forth the glory of the word. The word is that which has done good to my soul. The word is that which I would not be for 10,000 words, but have heard it, and I shall disgrace this word. Shall I give occasion that this word of the Lord should be spoken ill of because of me? Oh, God forbid. Therefore, if you do not regard yourselves in your own honor, yet regard the honor of the word. If you ever have gotten any good by the word, you should go away with this resolution this morning, quote, well, I will labor all the days of my life to honor this word of God that I've gotten so much good by. I trust that will be your resolution this morning, ladies, on this Mother's Day. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful for your word and how it just so clearly lays out a blueprint of what a godly woman looks like. And Lord, I'm sure there's ladies here who feel so inadequate. They feel like they fall so short of this. But I pray you'd encourage their hearts this morning just to remind them that these are not things that 
that they are able to produce in their lives. These are things that the Holy Spirit, your spirit produces in their lives over time through the presence of Christ in their lives. And Lord, they would continue to lean on you and depend upon you and to um, desire to be that woman who never, ever brings any dishonor upon you or your word, but that you would make these, these ladies beautiful and attractive for the gospel, that they would adorn the doctrine of God by their lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.